continuing our series this morning in Genesis, an unshakable foundation. There are many, many topics in Genesis that are introduced in Genesis and really not filled out in greater detail uh, until throughout much of the other, uh, the rest of the Bible. And so, um, so we find ourselves here in Genesis 11. Genesis chapters 10 and 11 are very closely associated. It kind of moves a little bit out of uh, chronological order here. We see as we did last week, the dispersion of people throughout the whole earth. And uh, this morning we're going to see where uh, Moses, for the sake of his people, preparing to enter in and take uh, the promised land, is reminding them of who their God is, what he's called them to do, and how he can equip them to do it if they'll keep their hearts knit to his. If they'll, if they'll walk according to his commands, if they'll, if they'll strive side by side with him, not against him. And so there's real life situation and circumstances here that are encouraging for God's people. And they're also encouraging for us. Our situations are different. Our times are different. And yet we find the same issues rearing their head over and over and over again throughout the word of God. And so the word of God is always helpful for us. It is what we need, what we need to devote ourselves to as his people. And not just what we need to devote ourselves to for knowledge and and, and problem solving solutions, but knitting our hearts together with the Lord through the person of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who is with us, who indwells us, in fact. And so that's, uh, that's the wonderful charge that we have before us this morning. So uh, Genesis chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 this morning. But before we dive in, uh, one of the things that we often do uh, with our kiddos uh, as they're growing up, is we want to encourage them, right? So if you're a grandparent, you, you probably remember this. If you're a parent now, you remember this, whatever age. Uh, if you're going to be a parent one day, right? Uh, the Lord knows, and, and, uh, and this will be some kind of conversation that you probably have at some point with your kids. And that is that we, we encourage our kids to strive for greatness, right? We encourage them to sort of, if you will, put their hand to the plow and, and work hard and, and, and learn the things that are before them and, and to, to take things in stride, to take things in step as they come. And, and in that process, sometimes we say these well-intended kinds of phrases like, uh, you can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you set your mind to. And I know they're well-intended, but we need to be careful, even in these well-intended encouragements, that we don't leave the Lord out of the picture or bring God in as an afterthought. When they have striven to be all that they can be, when they have striven to, to accomplish whatever they set their mind to, and they've gone after it in some ways, just at, like we've taught them. But then life's not going so well, and oh, now my life seems terrible. Now I need God. Well, no, we, we need God from our first days. And as parents, we need the Lord to help us parent with wisdom and with God's eternal perspective in mind. We don't just want God in the picture somewhere, you know, like he's photobombing our life. We want to put the Lord in the, in the most prime place of the photograph and center around him in a way that says, yeah, everything that I do, son, daughter, everything that you strive to do, do so first and foremost after 
That sentence didn't make sense. First and foremost, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and submit all of your life to him. And then go after the Lord and what you begin to see the Lord uniquely designed you for. Whether as a, an electrician or a, a plumber or a pastor or a missionary or a mom, a dad, a single who, who never gets married and is tightly knit with the family of God. So much so that at times you might even forget you're single because you've got a family. And you love the church and you serve the family of God. In your farming, we seek not just to make a good income for my family or have something to potentially pass down to your kids or grandkids. But everything that we do, we strive to do in a way that magnifies the name of Jesus. Listen to how these sound a little different. I can't wait to see what God has created you for. I, I love seeing the intricacies. You're probably not going to use the word intricacies, right? The special aspects of your personality. I love your sense of, of confidence, but set your confidence in the hand of the Lord. Your strong determination is good. You might even say, oh, your stubbornness. Oh, I can't wait until God gets a hold of it. Right? They'll say, me too, as they look at you and think about your stubbornness. Oh, how God uses people with strength and determination, fortitude to further his kingdom. Oh, son, daughter, I love your sensitive spirit. I love the way that when other people hurt, you just want to bawl and sob for them. You just want to cry with them because you care about people. Oh, how God needs people like this and created people like this in the church to walk alongside hurting people when someone is struggling. Oh, I, I love that. You love science and you love to, whether science or, or engineering kind of come together at times in terms of figuring out how things work, discovering the way that God put the world together and discovering how you can take that and, and, and use it with your passion for it, your interest in it to build God's kingdom as a faithful worker, an employer, a business owner, whatever the case might be. I love your, your intellect for, for systems and structure and processes. And boy, the church needs people to come along and help her with processes and systems. The world needs this. I love your love for Jesus. I love how you love the Bible. I love how as a child, you're just enthralled with the stories of the Bible. Don't ever lose that. Maybe one day God will use you in, in some creative way, whether it's as an artist or as a teacher or, or as a, a babysitter or, or as a, a parent to rear children who love the Bible for whom it never gets old, 
from their youngest days well into their 20s and beyond, right? I wonder if the world might be a little different if we encouraged children with a strong view of the Lord right at the center. Look at all the wonderful ways that God can use you in this world for his glory to build his kingdom. Imagine how different it might have been if after the flood, when God said to Noah and his family and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the, on the earth and multiply in it. Imagine if they had done just that. They focused on what God said, be fruitful and multiply and increase greatly on the earth and, and had spread out on the earth like God originally intended. Well, we know that they were spread out some, but they all came back together. And you may be familiar with this story. You've maybe seen photos of what people, you know, are pretty confident the Tower of Babel may have looked like. But we read in Genesis 11, 1 through 9, now the whole earth had one language, literally one lip, the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they, they found a plain in the middle of Shinar and they settled there. All right, so far, so good. And they said to one another, come, let us, and just hang on to those words this morning. Come, let us make bricks and, and burn them thoroughly. Oh, we see some innovation going on here. This is not simple stone, bricks that are being fortified or strengthened. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top into the heavens. Now we think of this thing that is just massive and it was pretty big. I mean, until you zoom out on Google Earth. I was born in Germany and I have this vision of uh, my house from photos that I saw when I was a kid. Actually, they were, they were slides. My dad, we would do these family nights, and my dad would get these slides going. And I would see myself, and I, I just pictured my house to be. Now, this is in Germany. We're talking European houses here. And, and I just pictured this massive house. It's not until you get older, you're like, oh, that, what a pipsqueak. That's a cute house. It was fine. We were fine in it. Oh, how the Tower of Babel must have just seemed so mighty. Oh, how the Tower of Babel might have made them feel so strong and powerful and kingly. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower at its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Don't miss the incredible next statement we're going to read. And the Lord came down. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people. And they've one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will be impossible for them. Come. Let us go down 
and there confuse their language. You see the Trinity in there? Let us go down and confuse their language so that they might, might not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Sounds like confused, which was God's purpose for them. Let's go confuse their language. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over the face of the earth. And then that's what we looked at last week when we read chapter 10. So, so Moses has given us a kind of an overarching grand picture of things, similar to when we looked at creation. We saw this initial overarching large picture of creation, and then we zoom, he zooms in and we see more about the creation of mankind, Adam, and even in chapter 2 of Genesis. That's what's happening here. He's zooming in now to, to focus in on, on Nimrod. He's focusing in on, on Nimrod. And this morning we'll see that when we think more highly of ourselves than we should, we set ourselves up against God, but God always wins. When we think more highly of ourselves than we ought, and we should, we set ourselves up against God. We see this pattern in Genesis over and over again. God creates Adam and he gives him a beautiful garden to tend. He creates a beautiful relationship marriage with Eve, which God created for Adam as a companion so that together they could pursue the will of God. And God said, it's all yours to enjoy except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then the serpent shows up, and as Johnny said earlier this morning, Adam and Eve are tempted with the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Adam and Eve thought more highly of themselves than they should. God said, don't eat that, for in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. Satan, the author of confusion, trips him up but it's still born from an inner desire that they have. Do you know that's how Satan tempts you? Desires that are already embedded within your soul. Satan's like, what about this? And you're like, oh, that looks good. Satan made me do it. No, no, no. You wanted it. He just provided the opportunity for you to pounce on it. Cain and Abel all they needed, had all that they needed to worship God, but Cain thought more highly of himself than he ought. He didn't get his way when he brought his offering to the Lord. The Lord did not accept it as he did Abel's offering. And so Cain became angry. In fact, he became enraged with a jealous anger and he killed his brother. On and on, Cain and, and Enosh and Lamech, they all thought more highly of themselves than they should have. And, and naturally, it spread throughout all of the earth. It spread throughout every human. And in fact, it got so bad that the Lord said, I've seen that man's wickedness on the earth is only evil all the time. The intentions of their hearts, remember, is only even evil all the time. I will blot men out whom I have made from the earth. Well, after the flood, there's a new beginning, a new opportunity for mankind. The mandate, be fruitful, multiplies, renewed, the rainbow shown in the sky, even to this day as a reminder that God in his mercy is withholding judgment that is very rightly due to every one of us in this room and everybody across the planet. God is restraining judgment. And he promises never to destroy the earth in the same way again. Every time it rains, don't just marvel at the rainbow, the beauty of it, the mystery of it. 
Remember, the Lord's in the center of the picture. The rainbow's just in the background as a promise for you and for me. Eight remained after the flood, and, and God commands them, be fruitful, be multiply, increase greatly on the earth. But from Noah's drunkenness to, to his son's mockery of his dad's nakedness after he's drunk, the consequences of, of drinking beyond what you ought to drink, and which is far less than we think it actually is, and and Ham makes fun of his dad rather than honoring his dad. And, and Ham's son is cursed. Canaan is cursed. And it, and it goes down from there. And now we, see, we saw last week briefly in, in, in Genesis 10, Nimrod, Noah's great-grandson, whom we read of in 8, uh, 10, 8 through 12. We're not going to read it now, but we saw last week he was a, he was a brutish man. I mean, this guy was a chest-pounding, I'll-take-anybody-on kind of dude who would subdue anybody. And if they would not come in submission under him, he would kill them. And he built his kingdom on it. In fact, he built multiple kingdoms. He was building an earthly kingdom for himself. He was a power-hungry warrior who hunted. Says he was a great hunter. He wasn't just hunting meat to provide for his family. And those under his charge. No. No, he hunted men. He went after whatever he wanted because his pride knew no limits. Genesis 8, 10, 8 through 12 says uh, 12 cities that he built. Some in, in Shinar and some in Assyria. Most notably, the two that we think we hear of the most often are Babel, later Babylonia, and Assyria, in which is Nineveh. Those are two we, we think of quite often. This all flows from the pride of Nimrod. So as we read this morning, we didn't see Nimrod's name. But Moses has told us that Nimrod built this Babylonian, Babylonia. Fast forward where we are today, and Moses zooms in on this detail of Babel, which sounds like confused, as I mentioned. So with the Tower of Babel, we come to really the last of the great tales of universal judgment. We've seen several. When God judged Adam and Eve and the serpent, remember he cursed the serpent and he cursed the ground, but he disciplined Adam and Eve. But even in that, God's mercy is seen as he says, there's going to be a deliverer one day. Through your seed, through your generations, through your line. And the Tower of Babel Tower of in Babylon stands as this unfinished, verse 8 tells us. The Lord said, Behold, they are only one people, and they've got one language, and it's only the beginning of what they'll do. Nothing they propose to do from now on will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. They didn't finish it. Why? God. God said, mm, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure it's in a translation somewhere. I don't think so. The Tower of Babel stands as a, a monument, monument to the impotence of man. The things we're sure that we can conquer. The things we're sure that we can accomplish on our own. Why? To make a name for ourselves. God's judgment comes when people think too highly of themselves. Listen to the Oxford Dictionary's definition and description of pride as a noun. I'm just reading the first couple. 
A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements. Interesting. The achievements of those with whom one is closely associated or from, uh, or from qualities and possessions that are widely admired. Second definition is consciousness of one's own dignity. Confidence and self-respect is expressed by members of a group, typically one that has been socially marginalized on the basis of their shared identity, culture, and experience. And in all of these definitions, which we would expect from a secular dictionary, we build our identity, our, our sense of worth, our value from ourself. The greatest thing man achieved to this point, late and incomplete. Let's build this thing as high as we can. And I'll tell you, it was impressive. It was impressive. It was tall, large, massive. They worked hard to build it. It took a long time to build. I don't know exactly how long. It took a long time to get to where they had gone. If you saw it today... It would stand leagues above your head. But see, perspective changes everything. Because from God's perspective, who looked down, it was pathetic. For from God's perspective, the motives that prompted what they were going after were horrific, evil in every way. They wanted to displace God from his throne in a sense. And don't we do that even in our own hearts? The Lord wants charge of this area of my life. No, I think the way that I can order my life is better, smarter, wiser. And then when it doesn't work, we blame God that out of our own striving, we failed and somehow, because of our, our massive humility, we blame it on God still. We find a way. We're creative people. God has given us Smart brains, but it's nothing compared to his wisdom, right? They wanted to make a name for themselves rather than allow God to do it through them, rather than allow God to use them on his team to make a name for himself. They wanted to, to devise plans and scheme together with, without a recognition of what God would want for them. How God would want them to accomplish it. Even as I mentioned this last week, even the God's God's judgment on them was the confusion of languages. It makes our efforts at missions more difficult. God says, go throughout all the earth and we're supposed to proclaim the Lord's name to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. That's a tall order for us. Some have spent many, many, many years just trying to learn a people group and a language well enough to be able to tell the Bible to them in story form, drawing pictures to be able to figure out how to communicate the Bible to them, playing charades, if you will. I remember the first time I ever went to Venezuela and I knew a little bit of well, I didn't know a little bit of Spanish. I memorized Spanish because I was singing some songs on this trip that we were doing. So I memorized a bunch of words, song lyrics, and um, 
20 or 30 songs. And I, I had to know what they meant in English so that I wasn't just singing uh, syllables and not knowing what they meant. I wanted to be able to worship as I went. And so I, I memorized these songs. And so I learned a teeny bit of English in that way. But the kind of kind of English you, or the kind of language you, you learn when you're singing songs is not the kind of language that helps you find your way around town. So I didn't know Spanish and I don't know Spanish. But our best efforts at missions is greatly hindered because of the pride of man that we see here at Babel. But see, God is more powerful than that. God is over all of that. We see it at the church of Pentecost as Peter is preaching. Everybody heard them in their own language, their own tongue. So what frustrates us, what confuses us, it's nothing for the Lord. Oh, I can make them understand it. That's no problem for me. I'm God. Gate of God, that's what they said Babel meant. Gate of God, the Babylonians held out as they, as they stretched their pride as far as they could. It means confused. Or I should say, it sounds like confused. And that was God's very intention when he went down. We see it throughout scripture. Listen to how, how Isaiah kind of seems to recall Babylon. He says in Isaiah 14, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of, a, a mount of assembly in, in the far reaches of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Now, this, this isn't uh, Isaiah finding the journal of Nimrod or the Babylonians. It's a picturesque way of saying you were aiming far higher than your britches could handle. Too big for your britches. Pride is the root of nearly every problem we struggle with. And the only reason I included the word every is in case there was something I didn't think of (laughs) and somebody could just obliterate this whole first point because, well, I thought the root of everything Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride, arrogance, and the way of evil, and perverted perverted speech I hate. Sometimes we think of pride, and and you might be thinking of it now. You might actually have checked out from this message because you can see the foreshadowing where it's coming. The pride of man extends down from Nimrod through every human to you and to me. Sometimes pride stands stands out like a soldier with a flag. And if you're entering enemy territory, you can clearly see where the enemy soldiers are. You can clearly see the tanks that are moving. I saw this. This is kind of random, but I saw this. um, I don't even know where I saw it. It It's just online, and I just saw these. I did not know they used blow-up tank decoys in World War II. These massive tanks, like bouncy houses. The war is over, and they're... Flipping them over and they're draining the air out of them. That's like Satan. Look over here. Look at this big distraction over here. Come on over here. And then sometimes, sometimes pride's like a a spy in plain clothing. It's so much a part of our everyday life that we just don't even see it. We don't even know it. It lurks in the dark recesses of our hearts. 
And we know it's there, but it's much easier to try to keep tucked away so that others don't see it. I want to give you a list. I'm going to move through it kind of quickly, maybe. Manifestations of pride. I didn't come up with all this list, but maybe a few of them. Desiring to be recognized and appreciated. I almost deleted the whole list when I read that. Like, that's me. I can tell you on at least five to ten instances in the last ten days, eight days, and before less than that. But I can think of concrete situations just like that, where my pride within me was just going, Give me glory! Tell me how smart that was. Tell me how thankful you are for me. Tell me. I'm not going to continue on because it's like I'm kind of in a reverse way. Kind of don't come up and encourage me after church, by the way. (laughs) It's the last thing I need. Let me tell you. Feeling hurt when others are promoted and I'm overlooked. I deserve that. You deserve that. Okay. Focusing on myself rather than others. Like, why are you even mentioning that one? That one seems so obvious, right? Being quick to blame others for their failures or for our failures. Well, both. I'm happy to blame you for your failures. And by goodness, if I can blame you for mine, I will go after that too. Because if I can avoid responsibility, you better believe it. Wrong fear that clings to self-preservation as the ultimate end. In other words... What if God were to call your child to missions? What if God were to call your child to missions in a hot zone? Somewhere that's dangerous. I I may have mentioned this story before. We had a friend that uh, when I was in New Jersey serving at a church there, we had a friend that we... uh, our church supported a missionary, Dan, uh, I actually shouldn't say their name, but, uh, and lived in Jerusalem. And they were visiting and talking, and, and uh, a, a, a friend asked a question, you know, don't you fear for your kid's safety? I mean, how do you handle that with the Lord? I mean, your faith in the Lord must just be. He goes, no, 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 you, 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 got, you got it wrong. You got it backwards. See, the problem is you think you're safer here. But if I'm in the right where the Lord wants me to be serving him, I'm exactly as safe as God needs me to be. I'm good. Like you could die tomorrow in a car wreck. You're not safer here. You just think you are, so you don't trust the Lord. He didn't go quite that far, but that's, he would have been right. He said all he needed to. Becoming defensive when you're criticized. Who are you to tell? Don't even need to finish the phrases. Caring more about what others say about you than what God says about you. Have a hard time when you when you uh, can admit that you failed someone else. Now, now here's how the logic works: you fail someone else, and 
we're just going to go with best intentions here. You wanted to do right by them, care about them, but you feel badly that you failed them intentionally, unintentionally, immaterial. And so it's difficult to admit, brother, I failed you and I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Oh, how quick the reconciliation would happen. I didn't, I didn't mean to hurt you that way. I didn't mean to hurt your family member that way. I didn't mean to hurt. I'm sorry. I failed you. I was wrong. Oh, let me tell you, those are some of the hardest words to say. I didn't mean to do it. Well, you still did it. We know you didn't mean to do it. Viewing others lower than myself, desiring that others meet my needs rather than doing the work to meet the needs that got from the, you know, the responsibility and the brain and the strength that God has given. Letting others try to take care of that for me. Letting others handle my relational struggle for me. I mean, the, the list goes on and on, sublist after sublist after sublist. Wanting self advancement, self promotion, wanting to be successful apart from God's blessing, wanting to be successful outside of God's direction. Refusing to give up personal rights out of love for another person. Desiring to control others. I struggle with this next one, I'm going to say. Talking most often about myself when conversing with others. Anybody else struggle with that? I see some of you nodding. Either you're saying like, yeah, you do struggle with that. Or you're identifying. (laughs) Both of which would be true. And listening to the conversation, you're just waiting for an opportunity to just slip something in about yourself or unintentionally take over the car. It's not always as front of the mind, but it's frequent enough that it's right there. Feeling sorry for myself because I'm not appreciated. I did all these things. They don't appreciate me. Focusing on my knowledge and experience, which I, what, learned from other people. I'm self-sufficient. I don't need God. This is pride. This is, this is pride when we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Humility walks in step with God rather than against God. You see, Nimrod and those he led, they weren't walking in step with God. They walked against God. But humility says, no, I want to walk in step with the Lord. Walk by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Why? They're opposed to each other. You can't have both. They're walking two opposite directions. It's like two cars passing each other on a divided highway at 70 miles an hour. They're not in sync. They're not going to get in sync. Until we are humble, until we humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God. Proverbs eleven two: When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But when, but with the humble comes wisdom. 
right? Worry, worry, for example, right? Worry doesn't parade around like a, like a big enemy of the evil one, like a big uh, flag that's out there that you can see from a thousand miles away. No, no, worry looks like a, worry's a spy. But worry's pride. Well, what's the answer? In part, 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Casting, some translations stop there and start a new sentence. Cast all your anxieties on him. No, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Casting, this is how you humble yourself. You cast all your anxieties on the Lord. You're worried about something. You have two choices. Hang on to it. Think about it or cast your anxiety on the Lord. You're, you're, you're not weak before God. When you Cast your anxieties on the Lord. God, I, this thing is too, it's too big for me. I can't handle it right now. I, you don't have to handle it right now. I got it. Cast your anxieties on me. Why? He cares for you. Well, no, what about what I did 10 years ago? God is probably still mad at me. No, you don't understand God. You don't understand God. Romans 12, 1 through 3. I have to read all three of these together so you can just kind of hear it all. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, uh, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, acceptable to God, which is your, that's your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Conformed, the word C-O-N means with. Do not be shaped with or shaped by. It's like an ice tray. You put water in it, it's conformed to the tray. Do not be conformed, shaped with or by the world. But be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind through the word of God. That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then he says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think with sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That guy is a phenomenal preacher and the way he alliterates everything and the way he just stitches those sermons together. Oh, God didn't make me like him. God made me, me. God made you, you. With the measure of grace he's assigned. He's, you're, you're not that man, that woman. You're, you're you, and it's no mistake. Lastly, God always wins. God always wins, so boast in the Lord who's worthy of praise. Right? Listen, when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to, we, we set ourselves against God, but God always wins. So get on board. Worship God. Set your agenda for your life to worship the Lord. Are you a mom? Are you a stay-at-home mom? Are you a mom who works some? Just aim to glorify God in everything that you do. Husband, dad, grandma, grandpa, mima, peepaw, whatever your kids, grandkids call you. So I'm going to glorify God. My life is not over yet. Why? Because your heart is beating. Oh, the ministries you can have for your kids and your grandkids. 1 Corinthians 1, which is sort of a pastoral life verse for me, but 
Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what's low and despised to, in the world, even things that aren't, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Praise God. Live your life to the praise of God. I want to work hard. I want to be respected. I want to be looked up to. Me, 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 me. Praise God. Work hard. Work with honor. Be an example. Be a mentor. But about life. Not the paycheck. Not advancement. Let's teach our kids as we teach it to ourselves. There's an old practice in church history called catechizing, and it's just a fancy word of saying teaching through questions and answers. And the beauty of it is I don't have to know it, I just open it and I read it, and I teach it to myself as I teach it to my kids. Kiddo, son, daughter, give your whole heart to the Lord. All of it. And glorify Him. Live for Him in everything you do. Listen, God wanted mankind to fill the earth, but mankind wanted to congregate in its own town in Babel. And God said, no. No. You see, God's going to win whether you're for him or against him. The question is just, whose side you want to be on in the end? Jesus knew to trust the Father. We see in Acts 38, 32, and 33, quoted Isaiah 53, 7, and 8, like a sheep, he, Jesus, was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he opened not its mouth. I'm telling you, friends, if there's anybody who had the right, the, 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 the ability, the, the words to open his mouth and put everybody in their place like that, it was Jesus. Oh, if we could just beg God for the mercy to follow him. Don't try to figure it out on your Just beg God for the help. He'll give it to you. If your desire is to please him. In humiliation, justice was denied him. Philippians 2, 7 through 11. But he, Jesus, emptied himself. He left heaven and he came to earth. Many of us don't even like this earth. Imagine being enthroned in glory and coming to this planet and then coming to this town, that hospital. No offense. That would be just like us, right? Be offended by a statement like that. Being born in the likeness of man, he, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him. He bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone should bow. Every knee should bow. Every knee should bow. Every knee will bow. Willfully, out of humility, and surrender, or God will bow your knee. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me ask you something. How do we endure? Because I, I, I don't say this to a room full of people who has super easy life. 
I've talked with enough of you. I know enough of you. Life is hard. How do we endure? Well, Hebrews helps us. Consider Jesus. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and that's speaking about saints who've gone before us, but let me just say something to the saints that are here. You older saints in this room. The younger saints in this room need you. They need to hear your life stories. They don't always need a Bible lesson, but that is welcome too. We, we need to hear your, your wisdom. We need to hear your failures and how the Lord grew you through your failures. It, it will help us respect you even more. We won't respect you less because you failed. Why? We have our own failures to look at. So great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight. What weight do you need to lay aside? Right now, today, what weight do you have? You need to lay it aside. This morning, the Lord brought to you a, a spy of pride. Pride lurking in your heart. You're like, oh man, I hope nobody knows about that. Lay it aside. There is something you can do about it. Lay it aside. Cast it aside. Get it out of the way. Put off the old man and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The sin which clings so easily to us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. Consider him. There's your answer. Consider him. Think on him. Meditate on him. Who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary and faint hearted. It does not say consider Jesus so that other people will stop making your life difficult. No, your life is difficult. It will probably continue to be difficult. So consider Jesus so that purpose clause you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You ever try to encourage somebody and say, hey, listen, hang in there. You haven't died yet. That's what he says. Life is hard. Look to Jesus. Consider how he endured the scorn and the shame. You're still alive. More opportunity for this. It's good to laugh when we talk about difficult things, but I know they're difficult things. So how do we not be like Nimrod and his armies and say, come, let us make bricks. Come, let us build ourselves a tower. Let us make a name for ourselves. Because God will say, oh, let me come down. All, let me come all the way down there and flick you off your high horse. How? Walk in step with him. Turn around, surrender, say, okay, Lord. I know I'm going to mess it up again, but at this moment, right here, right now, take all of me. Help me not hang on to anything. Let me be like someone trying to hold on to sin, like somebody carrying water in a strainer, and just you can't hold on to it because you're in surrender to the Lord. In closing, I want to ask you this question. It's overwhelming to think of all of the things we're not doing right or all of the things we should be doing. So I want to ask you this question, but I want to ask you to take it as seriously as you know how. 
What is one thing in your life that you know you need to shed in order to live in submission to the Lord? One th- it's not a contest. It doesn't matter how large it is. Often the one act of obedience that God gives us is the act of obedience that is keeping us from many other acts of obedience. Do we come and we drink of this juice and we eat of this bread knowing how Jesus said, Father, is there any other possible way? No. Okay, not my will. Yours. Don't eat. Don't drink. While you know you're clinging to what you need to shed.